welcome to the Wise Women in Waste podcast series with me, Claudia Amos, Technical Director for Circularity and Resource Efficiency, and unfortunately not my co-host, Davy Hitchin, Director of Sustainable Production and Consumption at Ancesis, as she unfortunately is not able to join us today. If you joined us for our previous episodes, you'll know that we are co-hosting a short series of podcasts that uses informal conversation to explore the trends and opportunities in our sector through the lens of women. We are inviting inspiring women in the waste and circularity industry to discuss our passion for the work that we do and provide some industry insights and knowledge along the way. Today, we have invited Kristen Oldendorf from the North American Anthesis team to join us and to discuss what it's like to be a woman working within the circular economy and sustainable waste industry, and what are the hot topics that we are addressing in our day-to-day work. Welcome, Kristen. Lovely to have you with us. And before we get into our discussion, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more what you do in Anthesis North America? Hey, Claudia. Thank you for having me today. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, so I lead the Waste and Resource Recovery Service Line, which is a new service line for Anthesis North America. We provide a whole variety of services uh, related to waste reduction and waste diversion. So this can be some kind of typical services, such as waste benchmarking, implementing recycling programs, conducting policy reviews, but also some more complicated things like looking at upstream solutions to reduce waste created, finding solutions for excess materials, looking at repair and reuse options, and generally improving the end of life of products. Super, thanks. And from working with you on a number of projects in the last couple of months, or really over the last six months, I know you had a specific experience which led you to pursue a career in waste. And it would be great if you could tell us a bit more about how your travels and and this experience influenced your professional pathway. Yeah, absolutely. I've been in you know, interested in environmental policy really since college, but it was my experience as a Peace Corps volunteer in Honduras that really opened my eyes to the issue of waste and the importance of proper waste collection and waste management. For anyone who's not familiar, the Peace Corps is a program run by the U.S. government where you go to another country for two years uh, and volunteer to support a variety of programs there with local organizations. So in my time there, just after college, I experienced that in the very small town I lived in, there really was no formal collection for any type of waste. So people really had to resource to just burning trash in their yards. There was a lot of you know, dumping and uh, pollution. Uh, so it really made me realize the negative impacts of that for health and the environment. So I spent my time in Honduras trying to set up recycling programs and provide education about waste reduction and recycling. So that was really interesting. Um, I had some good success with local schools to set up recycling programs, particularly for plastic bottles. And it really did influence my decision to pursue a career in waste management. And it also opened my eyes to the importance of public policy to really drive those changes and make it more systemic to have proper waste management. So I went on to study public policy with a focus on waste management and have kind of pursued that ever since. And I'm really happy to be in this field because it is just so interesting and changing all the time and full of people who really want to make a difference. And I love this hands-on experience because I think sometimes you have to see the mess and the waste to really kind of like maybe also sometimes reignite your passion that we're all doing this for a really good cause and, and that there's a really important target behind it. And what you described is also something 
that we are tackling on a global scale. And as you know, we have just been recently tracing plastic waste supply chains in key cities in India, Indonesia, Thailand and Vietnam. And all of these countries have environmental issues regarding leakage of waste in the environment and into the oceans. But also these activities are such a big part of their social networks and social security for a lot of people. So it's a completely different background and completely different issues around waste and and waste recovery, recycling. And I also love this policy background because policy and regulations have been the backbone of environmental change for centuries, really. If we look back into where waste management comes from, it really started as a public health policy to avoid issues around public health and sanitary issues. And then we moved into more environmental policy with landfill bans, and now it's part of a sustainable economic growth strategy and also finance and resource production going into circular economy and producer responsibility or EPR regulations. And what always interests me is the difference across the world. So in Europe, the sector is very heavily regulated with major interventions into the waste management systems and the markets. But in the past, the US has taken a much more liberal market-based approach. Do you feel this is still true or is it slowly changing? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, We are seeing more regulations in the U.S. now, not so much at the national level, but really each state kind of has its own approach to EPR and which materials may be covered under that. Uh, And at the same time, many states don't really have any type of EPR. And, you know, in the U.S., EPR has been around for decades, especially for things like batteries and electronics, because those obviously have materials that can be really harmful if not treated properly. And then more recently, more states have passed EPR for things like carpet, mattresses, paint, which are difficult to recycle, you know, but it can be done. Um, So it's been kind of encouraging to see more uh, efforts around those types of items. And then even more recently, we're really seeing more focus on EPR for packaging. This is gets really complex because not only are there several models for EPR, but if you think about packaging, it's so broad. So there's like so many different types of materials that may or may not be covered. And each state, you know, really has its own approaches for thinking about this and how to model it and set it up. So yeah, as we have these EPR discussions, it's so big, it may really have consequences for the producers of these items, but also really for the companies that are currently collecting and treating the material. You know, they might have to think about how their contracts might change, how customer relationships may change. And yeah, as I noted, it's like a lot to keep track of because just in the past year, something like 16 states have actually introduced legislation for packaging EPR. Most of those didn't pass, but you know, typically does take a few sessions for state legislation to get passed. So it's you know, most likely that they'll be introduced again and maybe even again and again and may continue to grow across the country. So while right now only four states actually have passed packaging EPR, I wouldn't be surprised to see that number grow maybe quite a bit. And the ones that exist now do cover all types of packaging and paper products. And those four states I should just mention are Maine, Oregon, Colorado, and California. Uh, So yeah, it's really interesting to see how that's growing and how each model differs uh, and something to really think about and kind of important to stay ahead of. Absolutely. And EPR is not like EPR. We're always saying that EPR is if it's just one thing. It can be so many different things if that's 
a mandatory take-back scheme with targets or if that's a fiscal incentive scheme or if it's kind of like more a sustainable green procurement policy. And I think it's really distinct how it's being implemented. So it's one stage is getting the EPR policy through and the next one is really tackling it in cooperation with the industry and all the different stakeholders, because as you said, it involves the whole supply chain, how you actually implement it and work it on a a day-to-day basis and what it means. So what do you think the main challenges are in the US to effectively scale up this reuse, recycling and design for recycling? And how does the availability of waste management infrastructure and the US is big, (laughs) so the geographies, distances, different consumer behavior, cultures and commercials for collection really influence that? Yeah, that's a big question. There's so many challenges. So. And I've observed that many of these challenges and problems are similar across the world in a way. I've previously volunteered for uh, some waste management projects in Tanzania. And it was just like very interesting to see that while the scale and structure of programs are much different than in the U.S., some of the basic problems were really similar. Uh, You know, walking through like a farmer's market where there's all types of organic waste that's actually not being composted, you know, but could be. And you see some like, I actually met a young entrepreneur who was really doing great with collecting that material and composting it. But unfortunately, that wasn't widespread. And I see that likewise in the U.S., like there's so much food waste and other organics that could be composted or you know, even thinking about the reduction of that waste, that isn't happening. So it's a lot of kind of the same challenges we're seeing. And I think a lot of that goes back to thinking about incentives and fee structures and figuring out that role of policy in the government compared to the private sector. And then, of course, education and really teaching residents about the importance of waste reduction and recycling is really key. So in North America, the collection infrastructure is really robust, but at the same time, it's really a patchwork because there's not just one way of doing it. It really depends on where you are and thinking about what types of materials are collected really depends. So the success of collection infrastructure and participation uh, really depends on both consumer participation and the materials being collected and recycled. So contamination is really still an issue and the lack of standards across regions as far as what recyclable is still an issue. So if you think about the recycling facilities, each MRF often accepts different types of materials and their various contracts may be set up to accept different materials. So if you think about that from the perspective of a resident, the average person doesn't know what kind of materials a MRF might collect or not. And they see a plastic item and they think plastic's recyclable. So it's really challenging to kind of connect the dots there and have standard language and standard outreach around what materials are accepted or not, and really to reduce the contamination levels we're seeing. Fortunately, sorting and processing technologies are becoming really more advanced. We're seeing this quite a bit. There's all types of optical sorters that can really process through the different types of plastics very effectively. So that's positive, but it still gets back to the consumer education and consumer behavior and what materials to collect. So still challenging when thinking through that. Also, the last few years have really seen some negative impacts with the collection of recycling because COVID really impacted collection schedules, having the workforces available especially having drivers available to do the collections. So we are seeing quite a bit of challenges across the board, across the supply chain with collections, education, processing. So quite a bit to think through. But I I do think like fortunately we're seeing more infrastructure getting created throughout the U.S., really advanced technologies. So I think things are trending in the right direction, but a lot of support is still needed to connect everything together. 
That is really interesting. That's very similar to the UK because even in the small UK, we got and each council got their own approach. We are literally on the border, so our neighbour's bins got a different colour than ours, and they have different materials that go into different bins. And as you said, then you are very much linked to the material sorting facility, which accepts your material streams and got the right recycling activities and sorting activities with it. Whereas often in continental Europe, you have then a one producer responsibility organization that creates standards and says this is the way it needs to be collected. And then you have more of a nationwide system and get more economies of scale in terms of what you're collecting and don't have these differentiations. However, then it's very prescribed and maybe not so much linked in with the different requirements of your consumers because it will be very different in London to somewhere than in rural areas where you have different things and people just have gardens and, for example, might not need an organic collection because they're composting it in their, in their backyard and uh, you don't really have to offer the services. And it all costs money, isn't it? Public services have been under pressure. So waste is an important part, but maybe not always priority. And it's also a question of then going back to EPR, finding producer responsibilities. Exactly that is helping or getting help from people who produce products and put them onto the markets. And what they put onto the market makes them things, how it could be shaped, redesigned to be more recyclable and really close this loop with production back to consumption and then waste management. From the work we have done, there's still a lot of leakage in the system. Like Europe, North America is exporting a lot of materials to other markets. So maybe it's not the leakage we're talking about in Southeast Asia, for example, where waste is just not collected. But if you said, exactly as you said, there's a really solid collection infrastructure, but then Where does it go? Are we actually able to recycle the waste we produce in our country or are we trying to export the problems into other countries like Southeast Asia? And China's thought policy has made that an issue and has really put that forward for everybody to think about, um, especially where we are losing control and ownership of supplies so people don't know where the material goes and they're not really sure if that is creating negative impacts for the countries that being exported to. Often you don't know if it's recycled, what it's recycled into. But we're also losing a lot of valuable resources. So even if a battery is a problem, but battery got very precious metals and very important resources in there. So to really bring it back maybe to your introduction, We know that some of the materials are mismanaged and leak into the natural environment, but the impact from these material imports also limit the host country's ability to develop their own collection infrastructure because suddenly they have to compete with materials coming in and often these are pre-sorted, nicely baled, whereas in the countries like Southeast Asia, Africa, if they're importing that, they're recycling their own in-house or domestic recycling very much relies on informal supply chain, informal collectors, waste pickers that are picking out material in the streets, sometimes from households. But it's a it's a much less mature collection system. Quality can be equal, but I think it's the scale that's often the issue that really to scale that up because you have one collector and then you have three or four different aggregation levels before you actually have a tranche or kind of like a a minimum delivery amount for a recycler. 
And it also adds to the recycling cost to have all these different aggregation levels. What's the view in the US regarding domestic recycling and export? And do you expect any upcoming legislation playing a role towards changing this to have a more maybe domestic circular economies? It's very interesting to think about. So with National Sword, really in the last few years, we have seen more domestic focus on creating recycling infrastructure. I also think a lot of this goes back to the demand for the materials and back to thinking about the kind of supply chain and education. Recycling does have value, but that's why it's important to make sure your contamination levels are low and make sure that the material is in its best shape to go back into the circular economy and go back to its best possible use. So something we're actually hearing a lot of at the moment is discussion around inclusion of post-consumer recycled content or PCR to go back into new packaging and product lines. So there is increasing demand for materials such as plastic, glass, cardboard, types of metals that have actually been used by a consumer go into the recycling bin and then want to be collected back to create new materials. Yeah, we see the same in Europe where we are hopefully getting an updated uh, packaging directive that's going to mandate recycling targets for loads of different materials, not just plastics, but also others, and then hopefully polymer-specific and maybe even product-specific to get a a market pull really to to the use because at the moment the markets in, in Europe are also down there's uh, limited demand for these despite everybody being desperate to recycle it because we got all the waste regulations but we need it on the other side as well in terms of policy and you know we have been doing a lot of global commercial waste diligence for new treatment facilities and also investor and market assessments to find appropriate infrastructure for clients over the last couple of months in terms of having a joint and a US-Europe team looking at different market outlets to see how it's working. And also a lot of people invest across the world now. It's not just in one country because you need the coverage across different geographies and brands are active globally, aren't they? So they're not just in one or the other and they would like to have more aligned and consistent offers also when they sell their products. Do you think that these producers who manufacture these items and brands and retailers in the US and Europe have much control over where the materials are going for treatment? And do you see any additional trends to what I've just mentioned in global supply chains and tracking waste flows? Yeah, definitely. And just to add on to the PCR comment, we, you know, in the US, There's not as much robust legislation, but we have seen some states start to require more post-consumer recycled content. And a lot of major brands have also voluntarily set ambitious goals for PCR. So it's really becoming like a a bigger challenge really to source these materials as well, because so many brands are trying to get more of the material and there's only so much of it at the moment. So achieving these goals will really require more robust collection and infrastructure uh, and the logistics and economics can also be barriers. So We're currently working on some projects, working with clients who are being really proactive and using unique approaches to source more recycled content. But it's just been interesting that you really do have to look at the whole chain of collection and the processing and understanding the roles. So I think that's an example of corporations really taking a a good role in 
corporate sustainability, but having responsibility for what happens to the materials is also a really key factor. So that applies not only to the waste products, but also to products that still have a lot of life remaining, even including products that have never been used at all. So, you know, unfortunately, excess and obsolete inventory can be a really big challenge for companies. We're hearing this in the news quite a bit now, especially, you know, around the holiday season, this can be a problem because companies will often plan and order their products far, far in advance. And then if as circumstances change or there's supply chain issues, they can end up with excess inventory as conditions change. And e-commerce returns we've also seen has been you know, challenging for companies to manage. So unfortunately, there have been some news stories about items becoming trash rather than resold. So, you know, it's important to think through how to improve the take back and sorting and resale. And there are solutions to do this and make sure that that those excess inventory items can actually still provide revenue. So we know it's a large problem, but and more work needs to be done, but I think there are some solutions there. And on that note, used clothing is also can be a really big challenge. The U.S., for example, exports so much clothing and footwear to other countries, which is you know often still in good shape, but if there's no resale market or not an effective way to sort of recycle it, it can just become waste somewhere else. So it's really important to find solutions for these materials. Agree. And Towards the end of our podcast, because we already had a really good discussion, I got loads more questions, but unfortunately, they always restrict me to a certain number. So taking all your fantastic experience in environmental policy, waste management, raw material supply chains, and your experience of impacts on society of this mismanagement of end of life goods, do you have a, a wish we're getting to the Christmas phase. What would you like to see done differently to deliver responsible source management? So many things I would like to see, but <laughs> I think the key thing to think about is that a holistic approach is really important in collaboration and shared learnings. So I guess I'd really like to see more just open conversations between everyone in this supply chain, you know, the producers, the collectors, the MRFs, the consumer outreach. I'd also like to see more focus on the connection between waste and climate change. You know, it's really a critical time right now to be thinking about how to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, as I think we all know. So the creation, the collection, and the treatment of waste all really do have a big greenhouse gas footprint. You know, thinking about food waste in particular, it, it takes so many resources to grow food and then to transport it somewhere, you know, maybe to process it, to get it to a store, to get it to the consumer. So to do all that and then have it become waste, you know, that's something that really should be more avoidable. Uh, so I would really like to see companies rethinking how they meet their customers' needs uh, while also have their business models connected to the circular economy uh, and just think through how to be profitable and viable um, while still being responsive to customer needs uh, and kind of making that full circle of waste reduction and diversion and connecting to the circular economy. Yes, we all have to work together to find solutions and find an innovative solution, think about it differently. And sometimes I think if we can harvest the, the global power of collaboration for waste management, like we did to find a COVID vaccine, for example, where everybody then really believed into if we need a solution, we need something to address this global issue. And if we tackle climate change with the same vigour, we we could achieve so much more by working together and collaborating across the world. And often collaboration has also been the common thread through these podcasts, really collaborating, not just with colleagues on a daily basis, but with brands, with uh, NGOs, 
with different technology providers, investors, NGOs. We all have a role to play. I think talking and discussing how we can address it is one version, but then also we have to put it all into action. And I think that collaboration source is a great source to leave us with. So unfortunately, we have reached the end of our discussion today. We hope you found it interesting not just us, I think we had fun and we always enjoy discussing this subject. Thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us today and sharing your insights into waste management and circular economy in the US. Thank you so much. So the audience, if you have any comments or questions about anything you've heard in the session or anything that you would like us to cover in future, please get in touch via the Anthesis Group website or email us or reach out on LinkedIn. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye. <music>